And as you know, we've been going through a series, and the series has been entitled Pleasing God. And one of the things that, that we have discovered as we've gone through this is that faith does please God. Faith pleases God. But the problem that we wrestled with, and the reason that I wanted Ellsberg to be, to be a part of this, was that for many of us, we're not real sure what faith is. And I wanted him to illustrate to us because, you know, a great leap of faith, is it something that's just a, a wishful thought on our part? Uh, we sure hope this is right. Uh, boy, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of presumption at, at some point. Or what exactly is the kind of faith that pleases God? Because we're confused, and I know it just in conversation with people, that faith, the biblical concept of faith is not presumption upon the future. It's not wishful thinking. But it is faith that is in an object of reliability. It is a faith that's placed in something that has a history of performance and reliability. So when I talked to Ellsberg and he says, you know, I checked into it and I looked at the past safety record, I saw that there were 24,000 jumpers that took, you know, this leap, so to speak, over the course of last year with no fatalities. I began to look at it and say, you know what? Based on the evidence that I see presented before me, it is not a presumption on my part. It is not wishful thinking. It's not, gee, I sure hope these cords hold me. It's none of that. It's I've checked into it. It's reliable. It is trustworthy. And the question that I had as I was wrestling with this is, you know, we laugh about, okay, 24,000 jumps, and let's just assume for a moment there were three fatalities. Even with three fatalities based on 24,000 jumps, it is a fairly reliable thing to do considering that we get in the car every day and the percentage of people who are killed in auto accidents is much greater than the fatality percentage of those who fly, as an example, those who skydive, and those who bungee jump. So the reliability is there in the past performance. Now, what really got me going was when I thought, well, wait a minute. Could you imagine for a moment if, if 24,000 people jumped and there were no known fatalities? There was no accidents? There was no one that was ever injured? There was never a problem at all in, these partic in this particular sport? Now, if you knew that for a fact, how much more reliable would that be to do? I would dare to say that there would be no risk involved in it at all. So as we go through this program and we talk about faith that pleases God, I just want you to understand that there is a faith that pleases God and the faith according to Hebrews chapter 11 is it says that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the, universes were, the universe was formed at the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. So as we're looking at the work of God, we're being asked to put our faith or trust in someone who has a history of reliability. Now we also are being asked to put our trust in someone who has a history of reliability with not one error, not one mistake. There is never anything that he's ever said that hasn't come to pass according to how he said it would. So we're being asked to put our faith in trust or confidence, as it says here, the kind of faith that pleases God has two positive results. And the first one is that it's an assurance, it, it produces an assurance of things hoped for. Two positive results of the faith that pleases God is the first one is that there's an assurance of things hoped for. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. You can be flat guaranteed that what you hope in the future will come to pass based upon the reliability of God's performance. 
So as you look downstream, you can be convicted or to accept an acceptance of present realities. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of that which is not seen. And so as we, as we consider that, we need to ask ourselves a question. The things that we cannot see, we can, can be convinced that they exist because of the reliability of God's Word. God, if He says it, He means it, and it's true, even though you and I may struggle with whether we are to believe it or not. The kind of faith that pleases God is the faith that puts its trust and in, 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 uh, in confidence in what God has to say will definitely come to pass. So as we've gone through this, we began to look at, in Hebrews chapter 11, there's what's called a great cloud of witnesses. These are men and women who testify to us today, even though they have long since died, they testify to us, they witness to us, as it were, of the reliability of the Word of God. The question you've got to ask, and I ask myself today, is a very simple one, and that is this. How can I be confident that what God says about the future is going to happen the way that he says it will happen. What gives me that confidence, that conviction, to accept that as a reality, even though I yet have not lived to see that day? I have never been to heaven. I have not seen the rapture. I have not seen the tribulation. I have not seen the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have not seen any of that, but I'll tell you this, I am convinced that it's going to happen. Is it wishful thinking? Is it presumption? Is it, oh, I sure hope it does. <laughs> No, it's none of that at all. It's, I know it's going to happen. I'm convinced that it's going to happen, and I'm convinced because of the reliability of God's performance in the past. And as a constant reminder to me, God said, look, I'm going to give you a cloud of witnesses. I'm going to bring to your remembrance people that I've dealt with in the past and how I dealt with them so that you can have confidence in me in the future in your life. So we started with Abel. And it said that here was Abel, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when he got, God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. There he is, a witness of what he did. The fact that when God said, do it this way, and he did it that way, God said, that kind of faith pleases me. I said it, he did it, I'm pleased by it. And on the, conversely, we look at the side of Cain. I told Cain what to do, God says. He didn't do it the way that I said to do it. And as a result, I was not pleased with his offering. And yet, I continually gave him a chance. If you read anything about the account that took place in that particular situation, he said, Cain, why is it that you're angry? Why is it that sin is crouching at the door? You must be master over it. Okay, you made a mistake. You didn't do it my way. But you've got an opportunity to repent and say, I'm sorry, Lord, I should have did it the way you told me to do it. I will now do that now and, and do it the way you want but he didn't do that. He said, I don't care what way you want it done. I'm doing it my way. And so what God is saying to each one of us, if he tells you to do it and you do it his way, he's saying that's the kind of faith that pleases him. We will be commended by God for doing that which we may not even understand. And the same thing happened in the life of Enoch. It says that Enoch by faith was taken and he was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Enoch walked with God in obedience to what he said was happening in the future. Enoch believed God in his future plans, even though he never, frankly, lived to see the judgment of God. He never lived to see the flood, but there was a man that did. And his name was Noah. 
And God told Noah, build the ark. It's going to rain. I'm going to destroy the earth. But I want, and it says that, but, but Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. God looked upon the earth and he said, you know what? The earth is wicked. There's nothing good about it. I'm sorry I ever made the people and the animals and everything that I did. And, as a, and just kind of as a twist, he said, but you know what? But no, I'm going to cut you some slack. That's what he said. Why? Because Noah was a good guy? No, not at all. It says he was a preacher of righteousness. It didn't say he was righteous. He was righteous, but he wasn't sin sinless. He was a sinner. He was a sinner that's saved by the same grace that saves us today. He was a man that God looked upon and said, you know what? You don't deserve it. You deserve to die just like everybody else. So does your family and all the rest of you. But you know what? i got a plan for your life. And the way it's going to start is right now. You're going to build a boat. And you're going to build it for 120 years. And you will live to see the flood. You will live to see my judgment. You will live to see it. But the thing is, are you going to believe me when I say to do what I'm asking you to do? And Noah, for 120 years, he preached the righteousness of God. He preached repentance to people. He built the ark. And 120 years later, God said, okay, get in the boat. I'm shutting the door. And it's going to, all hell is going to break loose. And it did. And you know when Noah was inside that boat, he was one happy guy that he would listen to what God said was going to happen in the future. Even though you know he struggled with it for 120 years, there's no way. And see, what God's not asking you to do is, He's not saying faith is easy. The kind of faith that pleases God will not be easy for your life or my life because He's asking us to believe something that we may yet never live to see. Never live to see it. You know what? You may die. You may be called home into the presence of the Lord this very minute. You may never live to see the day as far as standing on the face of this earth when Jesus Christ comes back. You may not live to see that. But you have a responsibility to tell other people about it, even though you may not see it. You may not even see the judgment of God and certain sin in your life. You may not see it in your generation. You may not see it, but God says it's still going to happen. And so what Noah did, he said, okay, I don't understand this, and, and I, I'm not even sure what's going on, but God said to build a boat, I'm building the boat. God said it's going to rain, I don't know what rain is, I'll find out when it starts to rain. God said there's going to be a flood, I'll figure that out when it happens too. And inside the boat, man, he went like this. Whoo, everything he said was right. Man. And there are a lot of people that were knocking on that boat for a long time before they finally drowned that wished that they would have believed what Noah had to say. And so as we go through this, we also come to a man whose name is Abraham, a great cloud of witnesses, one more person, just to speak about the reliability of the Word of God. When God says it, He doesn't mess around. What He says is true is true. What He says to do, we better do. And so here was Abraham, and it said that by faith, in Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't even know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and whose builder is God. What God asked him to do, he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to send you out into the land. You've never even been to the land, but you're going to go in this land. And when you go in this land, I'm going to make you a great nation. And not only am I going to make you a great nation, but everything that I promise you is going to come true. You will be a great nation because through you I will send a Savior into this world. It will be through your, through your genes, through your genealogy that the Savior will come. Even though you're not going to live to see this day. And if you remember right, Jesus when he was talking to the Pharisees one day about their father Abraham said, You know what? Abraham looked forward to and rejoiced when he saw this day coming. 
The day that Jesus spoke to the crowds and the multitudes, the day that he approached the Pharisees and he said that you're of your father the devil, you are liars just as he was a liar. And he said, you know, you talk about Abraham being your father. Abraham's not your father because Abraham looked forward to this day when I would come and he rejoiced. He didn't see it. He didn't live to see it. But he knew what God said would happen in the future. And he was looking for a city whose foundations and architect was God. He wasn't going by the immediate. God said, go into a land. And he said, where am I going? He said, just go and I'll tell you when you get there. How do I know when I'm there? I'll tell you. How do I know I'm going the right direction? I'll let you know as you're going. But just go. Oh man, can't you give me a couple more clues? No, nope, that's good enough. And you know what Abraham did? He went. <laughs> I don't know where you want me to go, but I'm going. I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm going to do it. I don't understand any of this, but I guess that's what faith's all about, and one day I'm going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. So, I'll just go ahead and do it. And that's what he did. You know what? And, and here's something that, that's amazing to me, too. In Hebrews 11, again, 17 through 19, it said, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and his only son, even though God said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham waited all these years for his son so that God could fulfill his promises the way God said he would. And then after he has the son, God says, okay, I want you to offer him up to me. I want you to kill him. And Abraham's going, wait a minute, wait a minute. First of all, I had to wait all this time for a son, and now I have a son, and you promised me that I'm going to have an, an inheritance and a great nation will be after me, and the only way it's going to happen is through my son, and I got one son. Now you're telling me to kill him. Man, you are just driving me crazy. You're doing this to me all the time. But you know what he did? He didn't say that. He said, well, it's kind of crazy just walking around not knowing where I was going. And that worked out pretty good. So now God says to do this. He's pretty reliable in the past. I guess I should trust him again for the future. And so he took him. And you know what it says? And here's where Abraham, this is what he reasoned. He said, I don't understand this, but I know one thing about the God that I'm following. This God is amazing. Everything I've seen him do so far, I just figure God will raise him from the dead. That's what it's got to be. See, you know, isn't that the way we are when God tells us to do something? And he asks us just to step out and trust him, not blindly, but based on the reliability of his past performance. He says, trust me in this. And so we go, we go out, and to make it easier for us to take that step, that leap of faith, where we walk in obedience to what God tells us to do, somehow or another, we've got to come up with our own game plan, right? So that it makes it easier to take that step. Oh, okay. All right, God, I'm going to do it. And then as you're doing it, you're going, oh, okay, I got it all figured out. I know exactly what he's going to do. All right, he's going to... He's going to raise. Uh, he's just going to raise him from the dead. That's what he's going to do. So all the way up the mountain, he's just going. Yeah, that's all right. Got to raise him from the dead. Got to raise him from the dead. And figuratively, he did raise him from the dead. But the thing was, he was totally confident that God was going to fulfill his promise. He didn't understand it. He kind of came up with a way that he thought God would do it. And you know what's even more amazing to me? You go through it. You read your Bible. You tell me how many people were raised from the dead up to that point in Scripture. Now, the way I read it, I don't see any. I don't see one example of someone who was physically resurrected from the dead in Scripture. Now, it was different when Jesus was walking the face of the earth, when he was raising, and when he raised the, the, the son of the widow of Nain, you know, and, and he raised Jairus' daughter. And he, he, was, he raised dead people, and he raised Lazarus, right? So, people that were there saw him actually raise people from the dead. 
So when Jesus said that on three days I'll build up my body or I will be raised from the dead, it should have been a lot easier for them to believe that he would raise from the dead because they had already seen him do that kind of stuff. Now put yourself in Abraham's position. He didn't see anybody raised from the dead, but he knew who his God was. And he knew that, hey, if he hadn't done it yet, he's going to do it sometime. So I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to go along with it. So God said, do it, and he did it. Let me ask you a personal question. What's God asking you to do in your life? He's just saying, do it. And you're trying to figure out what he wants you to do and why he wants you to do it, what direction he wants you to go. You want, you want him to send you a triptych so you can plan it all out. You know where your stops are going to be. You know what's going to happen. you got it all worked out so you can feel comfortable trusting him. You can feel comfortable based on the reliability of his past performance. You don't have to feel comfortable with all the details worked out before you. See, the kind of faith that pleases God says, if that's what you want me to do, I'm going to do it. I don't know where this is going, but I'm excited, baby. This is one roller coaster ride I don't want to miss. And thanks for putting me on it. I can't wait to see how it turns out. How many of you are, are, are at that point in your relationship with the Lord? I'll tell you what, I get excited. I don't, you know, anymore, it's like I can't wait to see what he's going to do in the future. I have complete confidence that what he's going to do is better than anything I could ever map out because everything I ever mapped out always got messed up. It never came out the way I thought it was anyway. And when it, God did it, he did it right. And every time I looked at it, he went, whoa, that's a new twist. That was great. I never thought about that. And it's kind of saying, you know what, and you won't in the future either. So would you just kind of relax and just start doing it my way too? You know, just do it. If I say it, do it. You don't have to understand it. You just have to understand that's what I'm saying. See, and that's my role. That's my responsibility. I've, I, I've finally come to a conclusion what my job description is here. My job description is just to tell you what it says. You know, to help you understand that that is what it says, not necessarily to give you an understanding of how it's supposed to be done or why it's that way. It's just, this is what it says. And if I can help you understand it, then great, then that's just a bonus. But the point is, I'm just here to tell you what it does say. And let's allow God to help you in the understanding of it. And so now we go into a part that I just am excited to, to get to because this has to do with Abraham, this has to do with all the promises of God, and it has to do with his wife. Another one of the witnesses is Sarah. And it says, By faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised, therefore also there was born of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants of the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. This is God's sense of humor, and I love it, man. I just get to stuff like this, and I just start chuckling, I start laughing, I start trying to figure out how I'm going to tell you what I think this is. And uh, Hebrews 11, 11 through 12, that's what it says. It says that Sarah believed God. You remember what God said? You're going to have a child. And she went, <laughs> and she was in a man the tent. And the Lord said, hey, why'd you laugh? And she said, I didn't, I didn't laugh. He said, oh, but you did laugh. And you know what? The promise is still coming true. Now, ladies, put yourself in Sarah's position. You're a little bit older. And it's not necessarily your problem as I read this particular verse. <laughs> Oh, Abraham, Abraham. I think he got it figured out. He's as good as dead as that. 
you know, maybe we had a little, em a little empathy here for Sarah. She looked over to Abraham and said, Lord, this is, ain't going to work. And he said, oh yeah, I can raise the dead. That's what he said. I'll tell you what. I don't know what time it happens. If it was morning, afternoon, or evening, you know Sarah had a big smile on her face and so did Abraham. It's like, oh yeah! This is great. What a great God we have. Because God follows through with His promises. See, God's not limited. He's not limited or restricted as we think that He is. We look at the, the, maybe the limited physical abilities that we have and we think, oh man, our God is limited in that area. Let me tell you something. Based on the reliability of God's past performance, Sarah believed when God said it. Even though all the external evidence indicated it wasn't going to happen. But it did. And you know she lived to rejoice in the day that that promise was fulfilled. See? God's not limited. And said that she considered, she considered, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. You know why? Because she considered Him to be faithful. You know what the word considered means? It means to take a look at and to analyze and to review it and to, and, to, and to go through it over and over in your mind. Look at his past performance. Look at the things that he's done in the past. The promises that he's making. She considered it for the purpose of coming to an evaluation to make a decision, a practical decision in her life. What I would suggest that we begin to do is consider him who is faithful. Look at his reliability. Look at his record. It's impeccable. There's never been a mistake. He's never said something that didn't happen. He is faithful and true. The book of Revelation says, consider Jesus in Hebrews. And in the book of Revelation, the faithful and true servant of God. If He said it, He means it when He says it. And you may laugh and snicker, and you may not understand, but praise God for those who have the faith that pleases God, who says, okay, I'm just going to do it. That's what we learn from Sarah. And then we go on and the cloud of witnesses continues even in the life of Isaac who in the same way had to question the same promises of God when he said, well, wait a minute. I'm going to be the one who's going to... The descendants are going to go through me too. And when Abraham strapped them to kill him that day, he had to have tremendous faith or reliability in the, in, the, in the Word of God that what God said He was doing, He knew what He was doing. And He didn't put up a fight and He didn't put up a, an argument with His dad and He went humbly as a servant of His father and went and was obedient to the Word of God. Sounds crazy. Sounds nutso to the world that we live in. What kind of God would offer up someone as a sacrifice anyway? The same God who offered up His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the God that we're talking about. It doesn't make any sense. It won't make any sense. Because the only way that makes sense is first you've got to understand His past performance. You've got to consider Him. Understand who He is. Think about His claims and His promises. Look at His record. And then you put your faith and trust in Him. And guess what? Then you have an assurance of things hoped for. Then you have a conviction of things that you don't see. Then it begins to make sense. But this stuff makes no sense to a person who hasn't put their faith and trust in Christ. It's not so. But for us who has, it's tremendous confidence and there's tremendous hope in what God has to say. 
and it's based on his reliability. And we also look at Jacob, and it says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. Even though it didn't make any sense from a cultural standpoint, uh, from a traditional standpoint, he blessed the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. And even though they were the youngest, God said to bless them. And he said, But you don't bless the youngest. You always bless the oldest. The oldest gets the blessing, not the youngest. And God said, I, Listen to me. I don't care what your family tradition is. I don't care what the cultural preferences are. I don't care what we did in the past. What I'm telling you to do right now is I'm telling you to bless Ephraim and Manasseh and do it. And Jacob said, doesn't make any sense. Again, doesn't make any sense. But I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And by faith, he blessed them. He was convinced, even though he didn't see it, that that's what God wanted him to do. And that's what he was told to do, and he did it. See, you know what? There are a lot of us who struggle with family traditions and cultures and religious traditions and all of the past. And what he's saying is, and the book of Hebrews is a great book that deals with uh, history, culture, tradition, as it comes to Judaism. And what he's saying was, I know that all of this is true up to this point, but now I've got a whole different way. Jesus Christ fulfills all of that tradition, all of those rituals and all that the role in the past. It's now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so now what I'm asking you to do is simply put your faith and trust in Him. Not in the culture, not in the ritual, not in the, in the performance of man, but in the act of Christ's death on the cross. That's what I'm asking you to do. And I know you're going to have to buck some family tradition to do it because the family tradition is going to be, oh, you know, you really need to do this. Are you doing these things and doing those things and doing those things? I don't have to do any of these things anymore because I trust the reliability of the Word of God. I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He is the object upon which my f faith rests. Don't have to do those things anymore. Not going to do them just in case. There is no just in case. He's 100% reliable and I don't have to do it anymore. There are many of us who still got some, uh, maybe some baggage that we're bringing from past religious experiences. And what I would suggest that you do is simply put your faith in the reliability of the Word of God and not in the traditions of men. We look at Joseph. Joseph is an example again of faith, where it says in, in Hebrews 11.22, Joseph, by faith, when, he, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. You know what Joseph said? He goes, you know what? I'm not going to live to see the day when God's people leave Egypt. I'm, almost, I'm, I'm near death now. I'm not going to see it. But I want you to do me a favor because I believe the promises of God and I believe that one day God's people will be exiled from this land. So what I'm asking you to do is when I die, you know, put the bones in a bag and set them aside somewhere. And uh, I want you to take them with you. Because when you inherit the promise of God, which you will, I want you to bury my bones in that land. I want to be part of the promises of God. You see what he's saying? He didn't live to see it. But his life on earth was lived through the promises that it would happen. So what he said was, I know I'm dying, I'm not going to see it, but I am going to see it in a way because I'll see the day when God's promises are fulfilled. And I want you to just, as, as a memorial or as, as maybe a constant reminder to you who will begin to doubt the Word of God, I want you to take my bones with you because I know that God is reliable. What a great truth. And what an unselfish thing to do because I think it motivated and encouraged the rest of them who had to still live through captivity for a little longer that God's word would come to pass. I think what a great unselfish act at the end of his life. I'm not going to see it. You're going to see it. Take my bones with you and, and bury them there. I want to be part of it. I want to go with you. And he did. And that kind of faith pleased God. Why? Because he believed what God said. He believed the reliability of the Word of God. That's all that he did. There was no wishful thinking. It wasn't presumptuous. It was a fact, and he believed it. And you know what's amazing to me? 
And what I think we need to be challenged in is that it changed the way he lived his life. It affected the way he lived his life. The decisions that he made today based on the promises of God in the future were impacted by what God said about the future. It changed the way he lived. And what a tremendous example when we look at the, at the life of Moses. Cloud of witnesses, and we look at Moses, look at what it says about Moses. Hebrews 11, 23-29, it says, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of all of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And it was by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith. Look at the things that he did by faith when he had grown up. You know what? I think there comes a point in all of our walk with the Lord that we grow up. It's kind of like the prodigal son. Or it says when he came to his senses, when he looked around his environment and he saw where he was and what he was doing and, and he was eating with pigs and he had lost all the blessings of his father and he looked around and he said, what am I settling for this garbage for? What am I settling this for? Man, God's got so much better for me and I'm settling for pig slop. Many of us do the same thing. And there's a point in time where we grow up. It's like we, we grow up, and when it comes to faith, it's the point where we say, you know what? The maturity level of, of a person who has the faith that pleases God says this, I can't figure it out. I don't understand it. But God is reliable, and I'm going to do what He says. He considered. Again, He chose to be mistreated rather than enjoy the pl pleasures of sin for a short time. His life is a lesson to us in the temporary nature of the pleasures of this world, the temptations that come along, where God says, I, don't, I want you to do it this way, and the pleasures of the world say, do it this way anyway. Who cares? Moses said, no, no, no. I'm going to do it God's way. How are you going to make ends meet? Oh, man, if you don't do this, this, or that, you're not going to make ends meet. You're going to be short financially. Well, then it means that I'll just have to pass some of the pleasures of this life, but I'm still going to do it God's way. And then I'm going to see what God has to do because the reliability of what I see in my God is that He's always provided for His people. He always provides for His people. He always takes care of His people. So I'm going to trust Him because He's reliable. He's a reliable source. And when I look at Satan and what he has to offer and I see the devastation and the destruction and the misery that he causes in his life and the frustration and all the rest that goes along with it, his, his record's not reliable. Why would I want to do that? God is reliable. The enemy is not. I'm going to do it God's way. So he said, I chose to be mistreated. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of all of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered. God said to leave and he left. And if you remember, he struggled with it. And he said, no, wait a minute. I'm going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to tell me to tell Pharaoh to let all your people go. Is that right? Is that what I'm understanding here? Okay, I just want to understand it. And it was kind of like God was saying, you know what? I told Noah to do something even dumber than what I'm telling you to do. <laughs> and he did it. He built the boat. I'm sure that's what they talked about. So he goes, well, that's true, he did, didn't he? Oh, okay, well, I guess you're reliable, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Well, okay, just in case, so what should I tell Pharaoh? Who should I tell him sent me? Just tell him I am. Okay. He is, and he is. 
And he went and said, I am. Let these people go. And it says that by faith, you know what he did? He sprinkled blood over the doorpost because that's what God told him to do. And you want to talk about things that sound stupid? Okay, here's the deal. Okay, the angel's going to come in and wipe out the firstborn. The angels of the Lord will pass over the houses that have blood on the doorpost. So if you want to protect the children of Israel and their firstborn son that's in that house, then you just put some blood on the doorpost. What? How is that going to... I don't understand that. I don't care if you understand it. Just do it. And you watch to see if it doesn't happen. Sure enough, the way it happened was exactly what God said would happen. See, and that's the same thing that happens with us. It's like, wait a minute. You mean the blood on the doorpost, the angel of death passed over because of the atoning blood that was there? Yeah? Does it make sense? No. But is that the way it works? Yeah. Are you to tell me that the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, that because of that blood, if we put our faith and trust in Him, considering Him reliable based on His performance, that the, that the death angel, so to speak, that condemnation will pass over us simply because we did, as God said, we put our faith and trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you going to tell me that that's the way it works? Uh-huh. Do you understand it? Uh-huh. But are you going to do it? Uh-huh. Why? Because God's reliable. Because He's reliable. And you know the next day when there was tears of agony all among the Egyptians, you know that there were some happy Israelites who were glad they sprinkled blood on the doorpost of the house as God told them to do it. See, God says, if you lift up Jesus Christ, he'll draw all men to himself. Does that make any sense? You know what? It doesn't have to make any sense. But is that what has proven to be reliable over the history of the world? Yes, it is. So as we go through it, we look at Joshua. Here's a guy. You want to talk about somebody asked to do something dumb. Joshua, baby, you're my new man. You're taking over from Moses, and here's the deal. We're going in. We're getting the land, just as I promised. You know what? And you got that bag of bones of Joseph with you, too, don't you? Yes, I do. Okay, let's go. We're moving out. So he goes out into the land and it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around in seven days. Okay, here it is. You're the new general. And God comes to you and says, Listen, bud, here's what I want you to do. There's a big fortress up ahead. They're going to try to stop you from going into the land. I promised that you're going to get it, but here's how you're going to do it. You're going to take all the people and you're going to march around the wall. You're going to march around it once the first day. You're going to march around it again the second day. You're going to march around it again the third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. And the seventh day you're going to march around it seven times. And at the end of all of that, what you're going to do is you're going to blow a trumpet and all the walls are going to fall down and you're going to go boo and they're all going to be dead and you're going to win. Hey, Lord, can I, can I just go get some papyrus here? I want to take some notes. Can you, can you run this by me one more time? No, that's all you're going to do. Just do that. Just do what? Just march around the wall. And when I tell you to yell, you yell. And when I tell you to blow the trumpet, you blow it. And when you do that, the walls are going to fall down and you're going to win. <laughs> but you know what? Now Joshua's thinking, well, it's not any dumber than what he told Abraham to do. Moses did it. Enoch did it. Noah did it. Abel did it. Everybody did it. All worked out for them. Okay, guys. We're going to go march around this wall here. And you know what? Sometimes it sounds crazy to tell people what God's plan is for their life. So, I mean, it would be one thing if he, he probably just was thinking, well, look, you know what? Let's not involve anybody else in this, okay? <laughs> I'll go out at night. I'll just march around it, and, and we'll see how it all pans out, all right? You want me to go tell all the people? All these people that now, I just got promoted. You know you just gave me the job. And this is the first thing you're asking me to ask them to do. And he said, that's right, because I want them to see that they've got a leader who has sold out to the, my reliability of my past performance. 
I want them to see they got a leader who's going to do what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it. I want them to see that's the kind of leadership they have because that's the kind of leadership that's going to work. He said, all right. <laughs> and he did it. And you know what? It worked. It worked. The last witness that we'll take a look at is a gal named Rahab. She was one that was watching all this stuff going on and she was thinking, man, their God is one awesome God. That's what she said. She looked and she saw the reliability and the performance of the God of Israel and said, man, this God's reputation precedes him everywhere that he goes. I believe that he is who he says he is. It says, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. God honored her faith. Not only did He honor her faith, but He allowed her marriage to take place. And if you want to read a great genealogy, read Matthew chapter 1. And there is her name, as prominent as all the rest of the names of the people of God. A prostitute who believed God and was considered righteous because of her faith and trust and the reliability of the Word of God. Man, I'll tell you what, I just go down through this list and, and, and I just get excited even thinking about it because as you look at all of these things, you ask, well, you know what? I mean, it's like, here's the top 11 reasons to believe God. Rahab, Joshua, Moses, Joseph, Jacob, Isaac, Sarah, Abraham, Noah, Enoch, Abel, Go down through the list. Here's a top 11 for you to believe God. You ever struggle with believing the promises of God? Then you listen to these witnesses who are testifying to the reliability of the Word of God. When God says something, He means it. And you go down through and you ask them what they were asked to do, and it sounds crazy. But let me just tell you something that we have as an advantage that they don't have. And that is when we put our faith and trust in the completed work of Christ on the cross, Jesus promised that His Helper the Holy Spirit of God would come to live within us. That he, would word his, that he would write His laws upon our hearts. That we would be reminded of the works of Christ. We'd be reminded of the reliability of the Word of God by the presence of His Spirit within our life. You know, one of the things, and people look and say, man, it would be a lot easier if I would have just seen what they saw to believe the reliability of the promises of God. And let me just tell you something. We have an advantage that they never had. And that is that we have the presence of the living God within us as we put our faith and trust in Christ. And He reminds us constantly of the reliability of His Word. It's easier for us to believe that which we have not seen because of the reliability of the Word of God than it was for them who didn't have the written Word to go to. They didn't have the records to look at. They had to just trust Him at face value for what He said. And yet they continued to do it. And it's the same faith today that pleases God. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe this when the Scriptures tell us, when Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8.18 Then he goes on to say something that just will really kind of make you think a little bit, but it's true. He says, therefore we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
And it takes the same type of faith and trust to look for that which we do not see, ignoring that which is obvious in our presence, to see a God like, like Moses did that he could not see, who was invisible, to lay aside the treasures of all of Egypt that was stacked up before him in all of its splendor and say, I'm turning my back on all of it because none of that lasts forever. It's temporary, but the promises of God are eternal. The kind of faith that pleases God is the faith that in the midst of all the troubles and tribulations that go along with this life, the kind of faith that pleases God is the one that just says, God, you said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And it will change the way that I live my life. Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank You for the witnesses that we've been able to look at just to review their life and to see some of the absolutely incredible things that they were asked to believe. And not only did you ask them to believe it as a head knowledge, but you asked them to believe it and translate it into action. And God, how true that is even for us today. The kind of faith that I believe your word teaches that pleases you is that which puts its trust in the reliability of your word. Not just believing what you say to be true, but believing it to the point that it changes the way we live our lives. It changes the way we make decisions on a daily basis. You're not asking us to do anything more than you've ever asked your people to do, and that was simply believe upon your word. God, help us to see that. Help us as we're challenged in the middle of midst of circumstances and tribulations, and as we're tempted to do that which is uh, an immediate solution, to lay those things aside as Moses did, and to fix our eyes on that which is ahead. You tell us, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and to let us fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Oh God, help us to see that, to always fix our eyes upon Him, to turn our eyes upon Jesus and to look into His wonderful face. And we just praise You in His name. Amen.